are Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a November 5th, Monday, the day before the election edition of Locked on Blazers. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, editor at LeBron Wire, part of the USA Today NBA Wire sites, also a writer for the Associated Press and former Blazers beat writer at the Vancouver Columbian. I'm back on the show. Thank you for being patient. I was covering both games this weekend with one of those games being double duty because it was the Lakers. So uh, I wrote my butt off this weekend, and therefore I did not have the energy to podcast uh, after both of those games. Um, I was up late. Uh, I mean, not to complain. Obviously, it was, it was very fun, very good to be in the building, very good to get a close-up, closer look at the Blazers and how they're playing. Uh but uh, the, the podcast got sacrificed uh, this weekend. But we're back here. It is a Monday, and the Blazers had two games that we can talk about. So uh, this podcast isn't going to be much longer than, than most podcasts, but it will probably have uh, a lot more depth to it than most since we're going to be able to talk about two games from the weekend uh, that I was at. So let's start with the, the first one. We'll go in chronological order. The Blazers split both of their games this weekend. Their first game was a 114-110 loss to the Los Angeles Lakers, but then they followed up their disappointing loss at home against L.A. against Minnesota with a 30-point dominating performance, 111-81 over the Timberwolves. So let's start with the Laker game. What happened in that game that made Portland lose it. Uh, First and foremost, the Blazers were 6 of 35 from the three-point line. That's 17%. That is awful. Um, And and many of those three-point shots that the Blazers got in that game were wide-open looks. Uh, One that stands out to me uh, was in in the final minutes of the game, where Portland got a couple of second-chance rebounds and they kicked it out to C.J. McCollum, who was by himself above the break at the three-point line, and the ball just goes in into the rim and rolls right out. And uh, that was the story for me that night. Obviously, I, I had you know I had to cover the Lakers that night as well for LeBron Wire, so I, you know I was kind of focusing on them, but from Portland's perspective, I thought that they were the better team in that game, and they just didn't come out with the win. I was watching the game and taking notes, and as I was watching it, I was commenting to my buddy Mike Richmond. We were sitting there, and it, it, if you didn't know what the score was at many points of the game, you would have thought you would have thought that Portland was dominating the game because they were getting better looks, they were getting better shots. The, the the Lakers didn't really have a ton of flow to their attack, uh, and it and it Portland I thought was the better team, and and the Lakers obviously they caught some breaks with Portland missing shots. They also have LeBron James, which 
when Portland was making their rally in the last three minutes of this, in the last fourth quarter of the game, when they were down by 20 or whatever and came back to cut it to four and you know, single digits and giving them a chance to win, LeBron made some big layups down the stretch, driving the lane to put the game away. And, and that was a, a big part of it. JaVale McGee also had a, a very good game for Portland. And uh, frankly, I think you could say that he outplayed Yusuf Nurkic uh, that night and and all the Blazers' bigs, frankly, uh, because the, the Blazers' bench didn't have a good game. Uh, Zach Collins didn't have his best game. He had a, a nice stretch in the first half, uh, but... Uh, the Blazers just they had one of the nights where the shots didn't fall and I think that was the biggest takeaway for me I thought they played pretty well they just really didn't make shots uh, and and the bench to which the Blazers have come to count on for uh, the early season so far they didn't deliver and they were significantly outplayed by the Lakers bench Rajon Rondo in particular had 17 points and 10 assists in that one so uh, and Josh Hart as well was was also a big factor for the the Lakers bench in that game so uh, you know, part of it was was the Lakers bench playing well playing and outplaying Portland's bench the other part of it was Portland not making three-pointers at a reasonable rate. And and that is, I think, the story of that Lakers game. But Portland bounced back uh, with an impressive win. And, I mean, I guess it was, it was impressive in the sense that Portland continues to take care of business uh, and, and win basketball games. I just think and, – and do it in dominant fashion where C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard are chilling at the end of the game – you're getting some minutes from Gary Trent in his first NBA minutes at the end of the game. Uh, there was a Myers Leonard chant that broke out last night because Myers was getting ISOed at the elbow uh, down the stretch of the game, although Myers did play well and he, he earned it with his play in the first half. But it was really Portland's bench again delivering. CJ Dame didn't score over 20 points. Nurkic was the leading scorer with 19 last night. But Portland's bench outscored Minnesota's 44-23. to And for the second straight night, Portland really didn't shoot the three well. They were 7-28 of from three, but it didn't matter because the bench delivered and they uh, really just outplayed what was a, a limited group from Minnesota. There was no Jimmy Butler, no Jeff Teague, no Derrick Rose. So uh, they were obviously a thin group. A thinner than normal group, but Portland, you know, we saw last night how sometimes when having a a key player out might cause you to think a game's going to be easy. Last night, the Lakers played Toronto without Kawhi Leonard and, and they didn't show up. And so I think one of the things that Dame said after the game uh, was that it speaks to their maturity that they've been able to win these games and Portland being one of the youngest teams in the league and they were in the youngest team in the league in the playoffs last year that's a great sign and i think also a sign that you know they're a young team but they're very mature with evan turner and damian lillard and cj mccollum and and aminu and and those guys and myers leonard kind of setting the example um that they're going to take care of business and so uh portland dominated last night minnesota was before we continue on the Blazers, I just want an aside on Minnesota. 
I have seen a couple of debacles in my day in in my this is now my seventh year covering uh, the NBA and covering the Blazers and I've seen some some really uh, listless uninspiring performances before particularly when LeBron went back to Cleveland but last night ranked as might be the worst one I've ever seen I mean that team is so broken and my pal Sean Hyken wrote a great column for Bleacher Report really about you know the, how bad that situation is um, and he knows a lot of the characters from his days in Chicago but it was so surreal to see Jimmy Butler you know he's not on the he's not on the bench he's clearly not you know involved with the team and yet He's doing almost like this double speak where it's like, oh, it's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. And everybody in, in the Wolves locker room is like purporting to live in this alternate reality. And, and it's very bizarre. And you, know, you see Carl Towns get 20 points or whatever and have a game, but it's like he, he doesn't care. Uh, the, the team didn't really care. And it was, it was you know, pretty disheartening to see for Minnesota that uh, – you know, last year they broke the playoff drought and it was a big thing and and all that and and, and Portland obviously, you know, did what they had to do, but it, it really is just, you know, really eye opening to see that Minnesota team in person. Just the body language was awful. And it's not it and it was an interesting contrast with the Blazers who were once again kind of underestimated headed into the season and are playing with you know, joy. They're playing for each other. They they have a very collegial vibe to them, and they are a good team, which is something that Minnesota can't say. And now, with that win, Portland gets to seven and three after ten games. Their rankings on both ends of the floor are spectacular, both with a top top five offense and a top five defense, and they've been doing that. All the while, well, where you know CJ McCollum has really yet to get going. He did have thirty against the the Lakers the other night, so that was a good sign. Uh, and then the all the other thing is that Portland hasn't had Mo Harkless for uh, a few weeks now, and frankly, we don't know how long he's going to be out. They haven't. It's been really this indefinite. They update it on a daily basis, but it's basically going unsaid that this is an indefinite absence for Harkless. He was in the locker room. He's still with the team. Uh, you know, he's still with the group. And I think there's hope within the team that he'll be back, but there's no date on it. So, uh, you know, it's going to be kind of like this indefinite thing, I think, for a while, uh, which is, you know, it's always concerning when, when, when you have a key player like Harkless that's out. But uh, for Portland to be 7-3 and three at this point in the season – uh, is is really impressive and it's a really good place to be. Uh, that was my game story for the AP last night. Portland is in a very good spot right now, uh, at seven and three after ten games at the top, uh, you know, near the top of the Western Conference, and racking up wins during a time when uh, they've had a pretty tough schedule. You know, they get the Lakers at home, they get the Spurs, they get uh, a road trip at, you know, an East Coast road trip. They hit. Indiana on the road and they get Houston on the road, although they catch a break with some injuries and they have, but you got to play who's in front of you. And, and Portland has done just that. And they've been very mature. And once again, as we've said, seemingly every year, 
with this Blazers team under Terry Stotts and Damian Lillard exceeding expectations once again. So uh, we're going to take a quick break because I want to highlight uh, something that I think is, is is the biggest story right now or one of the biggest stories for this Blazers group uh, and their 7-3 and three start after 10 games. So we'll be right back in a second. So we're, we're back here on Locked on Blazers, and I wanted to talk and highlight uh, – the, uh, the role and, and the sacrifices of C.J. McCollum. I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, and we talked about it with Corbin uh, on the, the last episode on Friday, but I really think it's important to uh, give him props for this because I think you, know, you look at this group, you, especially with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, and everyone wondered – how could they be any better? You know, McCollum's averaging 23 points a game uh, last year, you know, in the year, or 22, 23. He, he's in the low 20s every year uh, since he's been a big part of the team. And now he's kind of stepped back a little bit and he's not playing backup point guard anymore. That's really gone to. Uh, Evan Turner, which it has worked well. Those those units have worked really well. And although McCollum is still the same player, he's, he's still an aggressive scorer. He still, uh, you know, can get hot and, and go off for 50. You know, he, we've seen it before. He scored 50 in three quarters last year. Um, but they're asking him to do less uh, uh, being of the point guard and, and really – uh, letting him go just as a shooting guard and also a you know, secondary ball handler next to Dame. But uh, I talked to Terry Stotts and Damian Lillard about, you know, kind of what that, what that says about C.G. McCollum and, and what uh, that process was for them kind of getting to that point. Obviously, they, they made some changes. They made some decisions. And, uh, you know, Terry Stotts decided it was time to have Dame and C.J. play more together. And uh, so far, and I think it's evident with how they've played at 7-3 and three after 10 games with top five offense and top five defense, that CJ and everybody else is on the same page. So uh, I talked to Stotts and Dame about that, so I wanted to show you guys what they said uh, and give their perspective on uh, what CJ has been asked to do this year, which is a little bit different than it has been in Dame, you talked about the maturity of the team and the contributions you've been getting from some guys, but... It's not that different, but CJ's role is a little bit different this year. What does it say about his maturity that he's kind of embraced a new role at, for the success of the team? What's his new role? I mean, he's not playing backup point guard anymore. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, he still scores, <laughs> he still gets shots, but I mean. CJ's going to be CJ. But um, I just think we've, you know, we've been on the court together a lot more as opposed to our minutes staggered. Um, just because we, you know, we should be on the court more together. It, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to have one guy out there and switching it off like you're trying to take turns. You know, we can we play well off each other. Uh, he commands attention when I can be on the weak side of the floor and vice versa. You know, that's good for our team. You know, uh, can create problems for the defense and, you know, get open shots for Zach. Get Nurk open in the paint. Get Jake open and stuff like that. So I think it's worked out for our team. Um, but that's... You know who CJ is. He's not. He's obviously a scorer. He's gonna be aggressive. He's gonna, you know, do what we need him to do. But um, within the team, you know, and so far this year, I think everybody's done a great job of that. You know, but it takes a, a big person to kind of step back and allow it to happen. But I think he's done it along with everybody else. 
So that was Damian Lillard uh, talking about the the changes from CJ McCollum, although he was a little confused about what I meant at the beginning of the question. Uh, I, th- I think that's a really good uh, you know synopsis of what the Blazers have done so far this season and. Uh, when I asked Terry Stotts about it before the game, he said that it was, you know, everybody was on the same page. It's not just CJ. It's not that he had to just talk to him. It's really just been an emphasis this year of incorporating the team more. Portland was last in the league in passes last year. Uh, they wanted less actions off the dribble. And, uh, you know, McCollum has, he's taking a step back. And I think that that is really uh, one of the bigger stories of the season so far because his, Willingness, which is not always there in the NBA, to sacrifice individual statistics for the team, uh, is is on display. I mean, I just saw an article um, with some videos of the Dallas Mavericks right now, where the De- where DeAndre Jordan's stealing rebounds from Luka Doncic and uh, Wesley Matthews is apparently you know is mad at, at, at things and you know him and DeAndre and Matthews are both in contract years and Doncic is the new star and face of the team but he's a rookie and uh, you see how that jealousy can kind of permeate a team and and really screw a team up. I mean, nobody thought Dallas was going to be particularly good, but they are, you know, it's kind of they're undermining themselves a little bit with the way that they are, with some, the way that some of their veterans are preferring stats or want their stats. And that happens a lot in the NBA. And, you know, I think it's a good thing for Portland that C.J. McCollum is under contract from now until 2021, just like Damian Lillard. He got a big bag. Uh, also from Lee Ning. So he's doing well right now. You know, he got paid. So I think it's a little bit easier sell, obviously, to, to a guy who's already gotten his next big money deal, has signed you know, for hundreds of millions of dollars and, and, and is going to make it, you know, he's going to be fine. Uh, I think it's a little bit easier, but DeAndre Jordan and Wesley Matthews have been in the league for years and have made also a lot of money. And so that doesn't always stop guys from feeling the human emotions of, I deserve more, you know, the disease of more, uh, Pat Riley's old saying, which usually is what afflicts championship teams. But That is after those sacrifices have been made. And I think Portland, to their credit, has made those sacrifices and they're way outplaying expectations right now. I mean, this team was counted out of the playoff picture by almost everybody. I mean, I mean, Bill Simmons picked the under. Um, you, you, you look at the projections in real plus minus and they weren't coming out well. And you look at a, a lot of the projections out there for Portland and they were all down. And I think that was all based on an assumption that they would continue to play the same way, the same style that they have uh, since LaMarcus Aldridge left, which was lots of CJ, lots of Dame. And uh, you're still getting a lot of that, but they're distributing it in a different way now. And I think that... That has been a huge thing, and and I'm not you know I'm not the first person to notice it, but uh, you know I think it really is. Uh, it says something about McCollum and 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 the Blazers team, and I think Lillard also for setting the tone of of the organization that uh, you know 
the only way that they're going to get to the next level is getting there together. And uh, Zach Collins talked about the, the unselfishness of, of everybody on the team. And Dame was asked about that as well. And obviously when things are going well, it's really easy to highlight those things. But, you know, th- these were things that have been going on now for 10 games. CJ's role is a real thing. The, the, the way that the team is playing is a real thing. And I think that, uh, you know, that has been, for me, the, the story of this 10-game start for, for Portland so far uh, has been the, the buy-in from everybody uh, on this team. And, uh, you know, once again, outplaying expectations. Uh, but we're going to talk more about the Blazers in a second. We're going to talk about their opponent tomorrow night coming into the Moda Center. It is going to be the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and the Milwaukee Bucks, who are also playing some of the best basketball in the NBA. So we're going to talk about them and what should be a very, very good game Tuesday night at the Moda Center. And we're back here on Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we're here to preview tomorrow night's game in Portland against the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and company. Chris Middleton is playing really well. They have a new coach, Mike Budenholzer, who was the head coach for the Hawks for a long time. He coached the Hawks to a 60-win season a couple of years ago and uh, to the conference finals. And now he is the head guy in Milwaukee, and he has had a major hand in modernizing their group uh, for the last couple of years. Everybody on the basketball internet who loved Giannis and loved Chris Middleton and the kind of things that Milwaukee could do um, saw a team that was hampered by their coach and Jason Kidd that uh, they weren't shooting enough threes they weren't uh, they, their defensive scheme was out of whack. Uh, they, you know, they were trapping everything up high, which is what people that people don't really do that anymore. Um, you know, it's, unless you're the 2013 Miami Heat, you're not going to get away with a trapping defense. Um, or if you're at the Golden State Warriors, maybe. But even then, um, you know, those those perfect defenses aren't hard to find. And now they've gone to a much more pragmatic scheme with Mike Budenholzer. And it has paid dividends. They are second in defense and third in offense uh, so far. And they're looking like a contender for the Eastern Conference title. I mean, uh, Philadelphia and Boston are both struggling right now. It's early. It's it's November. They're still reincorporating guys. But Milwaukee added a bunch of new guys as well. They had a new coach. And... Uh, you know they had some adjustments too, and they have really been smooth. I mean, they have been uh, phenomenal. They're eight and one through their first nine games. Uh, obviously, Budenholzer has has really increased the three point rate for the team. They also made some nice additions. They got Brooke Lopez from the Lakers. They got uh, Pat Connaughton, former Blazer, uh, on the on the team to shoot threes on the wing, and then they also have. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo from Villanova, the rookie who, who's playing a lot of minutes and getting a lot of time out there and helping them. So the, the Bucks are going to be a, a really tough game. Uh, Giannis, MVP candidate for sure. He, he has been in, in seasons past, but with Milwaukee playing as well as they are, 
he's definitely putting his name in the conversation and uh, putting them in positions to win every single game, every single night. And, uh, you know, that's what MVPs do. That's what Portland has in Damian Lillard. And and Milwaukee has that in Antetokounmpo. They also have Chris Middleton, who is shooting lights out right now. He's also taking fewer mid-range jumpers. He's taking more threes. And he's hitting almost 50% of his threes. So, uh going to be a tough matchup for Portland defensively, and I think it'll be an interesting matchup for, for the, the Bucs, um, uh, guarding a little bit of a smaller group, but Portland also likes to go big when they come off the bench. They Terry Stotts likes the group with Myers Leonard and Zach Collins, and um, it's going to be a really interesting game, and I think, you know, uh, as far as this, this homestand is concerned, I think it's... Uh, my most interesting game because they're the team that's playing the best ball right now coming in. Uh, Clippers are coming in later in the week and then the Celtics come in after. But as I mentioned, the Celtics are struggling and the Clippers, well, you know, their best players, Tobias Harris. So I think that kind of answers that. So uh, Milwaukee's coming in to this, to this game and it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, a really tough game, I think, for both teams and an exciting one. So I'm going to be there again uh, for the Associated Press, so I'll have a report from there. Tomorrow is Election Day. Please go vote. And uh, we will be back here on Locked on Blazers after Tuesday night's game against the Milwaukee Bucks. So until next time.